Welcome back to More Life, the Reentry podcast, a podcast about offender reentry, reform, and advocacy. And I'm your host, Vinkivia Garner. Thank you for tuning in today to hear our second episode of our series about the invisible world of women's correctional healthcare. Um, once again, Caitlin and Kelly have joined us again to help us further explore and highlight the overlooked nature of women's correctional health previous episode i really encourage you to go back and take a listen to that that way you can learn more about the introduction to women's correctional health care um, that way you can have a better understanding and a better grounding in the needs of women as they cycle through the carceral system um, today's episode is going to look a little different from that and sometimes without having that information it may be difficult to maybe understand what we're talking about today but just to jump into what today's subject is going to be, today we're going to delve into a personal narrative um, that will allow us to shed light on the experiences of incarcerated women. Kelly, um, she shared a little bit of her story in the previous episode, but really we're we're going to be getting into her story and talking more about it um, in this episode, just so we can gain a deeper understanding of the impact of incarceration and how that impacts their physical and mental well-being um, by sharing her story um, and just talking about stories in general uh, we just hope to humanize the statistics and raise awareness about the need for improved health care with correctional facilities um, so kelly like i said thank you for coming on and you know being vulnerable and willing to share your story and kj thank you for being here to kind of add information and share your experience as you've worked in this area thank you so much for having us back i'm really excited to to further this conversation and and talk about um, the real life implications of something that really just kind of gets left to data and statistics um yeah, so thank you for having us back. Yes, thank you for having us back. And, you know, thank you for letting us spread this awareness. And for me, sharing my story is is important to me. I'm very passionate about what I do. So I appreciate the platform. Yes, ma'am. And look, I appreciate you all for the work that you do um, and, you know, trying to raise this awareness. Um, so I remember in our last episode, we kind of left off. We we talked about that intro, kind of gave them that crash course of intro to women's correctional health care. Um, and a piece before we get into really talking about the story and diving into that, I kind of want to get into the so what, who cares? Um, you know, one thing that KJ said is it this often gets left correctional health care in women. It often often just gets less left to statistics and data. Um, so I want to make sure our audience really understands why are we talking about this and why do we think this is such a critical thing that policy and practitioners need to be paying attention to. So I know for me, what happened to me and my daughter while I was incarcerated should not happen to any woman or and their child. It just shouldn't. So for me, it's very personal and it's all about spreading awareness that this is happening and it's something that needs to change. And I'm so happy that 
KJ found me um, and, and that we're able to do this together because um, it's something that I am very passionate about. And it's really based on my experience and some of the things that I've seen other pregnant women go through while they're incarcerated. I love the way you said that, Kelly, because the only thing I would want to add is it's incarceration is often approached as sort of a siloed issue. However, it is extremely and delicately weaved into our social systems. Um, and so what I mean by that is incarceration, for the exception of a few, is not one's life sentence, right? There are some that experience most of their life behind bars, but for the, the rest, it's going to be um, days, months, years. And so they are also a person outside. They, um, they On the outside, they are also a community member. And so when we approach these issues siloed and without the stories, we fail to acknowledge how in depth incarceration bleeds into communities um, and how much that impacts our ability to grow, to feel safe, to be healthy, um, to have promising and sustainable futures. Um, we try to keep it sort of just tucked away nice and easy and kept as a single conversation, but in the real life complications of it all, um, it is just one but many elements um, to the person's story that is impact um, and living with the effects of incarceration. So simply put, people very, very remarkably underestimate the challenges to reentry and how that affects an entire community. Um, the challenges to reentry are far more difficult than what people may realize. Um, so if you don't have the help and you're not ready to, you know, recognize these challenges, you may not have a successful reentry. So that's where we try to help. Yeah, um, that that's so very true and incarceration is just so like you said it's it's existing in our social system and people don't understand how it really exists um into the magnitude of which it exists and it's not just and we have these these women that have these experiences and they get overlooked but it causes compounding effects on their lives um and by exploring and kind of talking about the realities of what their life is, like I said, we can humanize these statistics and get people to really understand uh, what this is like and why this is such an important thing of not even just for the individual. And this is one thing I often think about um, is that we often think, you know, incarceration in whatever uh, realm that we focus on it in is that it's an individual's problem and no, it's really um, a societal problem because it impacts the families that these women are going home to, the children that they have to interact with, um, and even the communities that they are returning to. Um, so which is another just essential piece of 
why we should be having these conversations. Um, so yes, thank you both for that. Um, and so I guess to kind of segue into us, into our conversation here, um, Kelly, in our previous episode, you kind of talked a little bit about what it was like for you being pregnant um, and incarcerated. Do you care to expand some on that and just talk to us about like the challenges you encountered as well as, you know, what type of support or resources were available to you while you were incarcerated and pregnant? So um, just just to sort of reiterate some of the things that I went through, um, I was I turned myself in January 13th of 2019 found out I was pregnant a few weeks later. Um, I found out actually February 6th, I think, and I was five weeks and three days pregnant on February 6th. Um, I remember taking a pregnancy test three days before I turned myself in. It was negative. They asked me if I was pregnant upon intake. I said, no. Detox off of my Suboxone. Um, ended up getting into a fight. So then I found out I was pregnant. Um, they were supposed to give me a double mattress. I didn't get a double mattress for three weeks, but the pregnant girl next next door did. Uh, she she got hers right away. Um, let's see, I I got the wrong medication. I I started bleeding one day and was made to sit in intake for four hours before some doctor I never met in Ohio could clear me. Um, then I got transferred to prison. They forgot I was pregnant. I had gestational diabetes they didn't want to treat. I had blood work done and they sent me to the hospital for an emergency C-section that I didn't need. And the list just goes on. You know, I had so many complications and, and it was an emotional roller coaster, a constant battle of if I speak up, am I going to get in more trouble? If I say anything, am I if am I going to be secluded to myself? Um, if I walk up these four steps, am I going to get a write up? Because that was a thing. Also, um, it, if I go outside and play volleyball, am I going to get a write up? That was a thing. You know, it. You're incarcerated, and all of your decision making ability is taken away from you. And. You know, my constant thought at the time was like, the main Department of Corrections, you know, may consider me state property, but my daughter is not state property. Um, and, you know, it, it's my responsibility as a mother to make sure that this child is okay. So... It, it was just a constant fight, like trying to advocate for myself and my daughter and make sure that she was going to be okay. That day that they made me sit in intake, I, I was a mess. You know, they, there were people going in and out for court all morning that could see this pregnant woman crying on a bench. And even they were like, what, what, the f what are you guys doing to this girl? You know, like, Nobody could understand it. And it was protocol at the time. 
it amazes me that that was the protocol for something like that. You know, it, I felt like I was fighting for my life and I was fighting for my daughter's life the entire time. And I kept sending letters to central office and I kept sending letters to my lawyer, which was a public defender. Um, you know, if, if the main department of corrections is not able to take care of me in a way that my daughter is going to survive and be healthy, then why am I here? You know, I was clean and sober for the year I was out on bail prior to being sentenced and sentenced and incarcerated. It's a shame because I could have taken much better care of myself, but things happen the way that they happen for a reason. And, you know, I would not be sitting here today talking about this and spreading the awareness if I had not had this significant experience. So I would like to think that it happened for a reason. And thank God my daughter was born healthy and beautiful. And she's four years old today and talks a mile a minute. And I got to watch JJ on Coco Melon YouTube for hours at a time. You know, it's, it's crazy how things have changed. So I would like to think that the experience itself, although may have sucked, happened for a reason. Yeah, I think that's great that you've been able to kind of take your experience and your experience and utilize it in a way to empower other women that may be currently going through this or have had similar experiences. And like like you said, it does suck. Um and and it shouldn't be that way. And that's why you're using your story and your power to be able to make transformation in the system, in people's everyday lives. Um, one thing while you were talking, this came to my head of, you know, we, we talk about standards, we talk about protocols. Were you ever informed of what your rights were as a pregnant person? Not at all. I was not even informed by medical staff that I was pregnant. So when I, I was sick for a couple of days and everybody thought I was detoxing. Everybody thought I brought drugs into the jail and that I was just detoxing because I ran out. Well, that wasn't the case. I was actually experiencing morning sickness. Um, I couldn't eat the jail food because it jail food is pretty horrible, especially in Kennebec County, Maine. Um, so I was throwing up all the time and one of the women in the block had just tested positive for pregnancy herself. So it kind of got me thinking, my breast started hurting. Um, I asked the guy on the med cart very quietly one day to give me a pregnancy test. So he came back a couple hours later, he gave me a little cup I peed in it, went, gave it back to him. A few hours later, I was called to the intake. I didn't know why I was being called to the intake. So I got down there and I'm like, okay, so why am I here? And the corrections officer is like, okay, so you have no idea why you're here. Medical didn't talk to you. I said, no, well, why am I here? 
and it was her i remember her it was ashley allen this the corrections officer and the mental health worker nicole baker um they are the ones that told me that i was pregnant and that i was being sent to the hospital to check on the baby because i had been in a fight the week before and slammed on my face by a, a corrections officer and then thrown in an elevator um and also detoxed off of my medication. So they wanted to see if the baby was okay. My only response at that point was, can I get my second mattress now? I didn't even know what else to say. So kind of, kind of a, and, and they wouldn't let me call anybody. I wasn't allowed to call anybody to tell them that I was pregnant or that I was on my way to the hospital. Um, I got back and then I was allowed to call and at the time I had a no contact order with her father. Um, so I had to talk to his mother. So um, that's how he found out he was going to be a dad. Um, <laughs> it just, the experience, not being able to talk to my family the entire time, not having them attend appointments, not being able to be there in the delivery room. That was that was a nightmare in itself, you know, being, being completely alone and trying to fight for survival the entire time was, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm surprised I made it out to be honest. I'm surprised she ended up to be so perfect. Um, and I'm thankful every day. Like it, it's just amazing to me from what I'm understanding is you weren't informed of your rights and I wasn't. the the chain of command or protocols that was supposed to be followed were supposed to be followed weren't followed either and that's part of the problem is what we're seeing and voices aren't just being heard because you know it seems like you you know you've had you had that experience of morning sickness and you knew it didn't feel right but they were interpreting it as something else rather than paying attention to your health needs. So after I found out that I was pregnant, you know, I went to the hospital, they confirmed everything. Uh, the jail made me appointment to see the OBGYN in a few weeks. I was not given any options for adoption or abortion or anything i was not given any reading materials i wasn't even allowed to keep my discharge instructions i was not allowed to keep pamphlets in my room nothing that i could even read i was allowed to bring back with me um i wasn't allowed to bring back with me i'm sorry um so there was absolutely no options or education around my pregnancy. My option was to have this child while I was in prison. KJ, I saw you wanted to add something you want to add here. The only thing I wanted to call out, um, because you had such a beautiful list of like, this is really fucked up, um, <laughs> is the HIPAA violations. Uh, so the fact like that a CEO was informed before Kelly of her pregnancy status is a HIPAA violation. Um, and so that is very common as well. You know, HIPAA is something that just sort of goes out the window somehow. Um, and because 
there is no real overseer of quality of care, um, despite the fact that providing healthcare is a constitutional responsibility for these facilities. Facilities really get to do whatever they want. Um, and there's no one to tell them to, to do something different unless a new policy um, or legislation gets passed. And again, like as we talked about in the last episode, um, there's a lot of discretions between policies and, and practice. And so that's, yeah, I just needed to add that to the list. Yeah, that's a, that's a real concern. And that's something that, you know, even I have learned in just the field that I am in of you, it's really hard to keep that confidentiality, um, and be compliant to those HIPAA laws. It's not, I'm not even going to say hard. Uh, it kind of, it goes out of the window, th those, that confidentiality and HIPAA compliance when you are in a corrections facility. It's almost as it doesn't exist when those are rights of people. Um, and a CO knowing that information before you do, certainly not in compliance with that for sure. As well as the mental health worker. Yes, okay. and the mental health worker. And so where, you know, where is the the person who operates um, overall health care in a correctional facility? I do know that once the mental health worker, Nicole Baker, found out that I was not properly informed by medical that I was pregnant, she went up one side of them and down the other. <laughs> Um, she, she was a wonderful mental health worker and it's very sad that she's not there anymore. Yeah. Um, again, to scale out, it's one of those things that unfortunately falls again to the facilities, um, or the department of corrections. Um, and so how is either the sheriff or captain going to be responsive to it? Or how is the director of services going to be responsive to it? Um, because there is no overseer beyond that um, or how the how is the bureau of justice going to be responsive to it because again there's we're looking at county state and federal levels um and so again like there is no overseer of the overseers and so if someone has a different reaction to the individual kelly had um their entire experience and their entire outcomes are going to be shaped by that and there's really nothing that can be done and um that's really disturbing. You know, I will say um, I had a calcium deficiency while I was in Kennebec County and I submitted a medical request for real milk. I was granted the medical request, but getting real milk from the kitchen was a process, right? So I submitted a request to the assistant captain, I guess it would be, it was, um, um, Slaney and he did not get that request for two and a half months, two and a half months. All we drank was powdered soy milk. Meanwhile, I'm a pregnant woman with a calcium deficiency with a medical slip for real milk. I will say when he did get that, request after two and a half months he sent one of the CEOs to the store to get me four gallons of whole milk but two and a half months 
really? You can do better than that. Yeah, the sense of ur- the sense of urgency um, definitely doesn't seem like it was there. Um, so I want to um, shift us a little bit, and I know one thing that we were going to be talking about here is um, how your birth story uh well not birth story how incarceration can impact your birth story and i feel like we've detailed a little bit of it um but i was wondering would either one of you be willing to offer uh an explanation of what a birth story is just so the audience can understand that and then we can kind of integrate that context of incarceration into it i think the easiest way to invite someone into this conversation is to have them imagine their earliest memories or their earliest source of beginning. Where in this world did you come from? Where is your home? Um, and really powerful dynamics into our identity are sprouted from that, You know, whether that be influenced from ge- geographical reasons, cultural reasons, religious reasons, um, and the list goes on so much of who we are and how we relate and identify um, and belong to this world can be rooted back into that single moment of becoming. Um, And so if we're thinking about it in the context of being born in prison, um, I guess I would ask you if you had a choice of where you were born, would you prefer to be a baby born in prison? or not in prison. Um, and because I think there's just something in maybe our initial reaction to that that can set off um, why we're, we're having this conversation. Um, personally, I can share my own um, story. So my sister and I um, are children of an incarcerated parent. My father was incarcerated basically all of my childhood up until I was the uh, age 15. Um, and he was actually incarcerated for the first two years of my sister's life. And so I guess to pre-propose my earlier question, just slightly different, my dad, my sister had to go without one of her parents present at her birth. Whereas my dad got to catch me at my birth, which would you prefer? Um, and so I think thinking about these questions, um, and thinking about our origins are really, really important, um, and I think those reflections are the best way to sort of consider our birth stories and, and what they mean. So my explanation of it would be like, in, I mean, in simplest terms, it, it would be like my daughter coming up to me and saying, Mama, how was I born? And me having to explain everything that I've already told you all to my daughter you know that's and then the having her know that that's her story that's that's how her life began that she had to spend the first four months of her life with her grandmother because I was still in prison you know that's that was her infancy her her growth within her mother's belly you know everything that she went through that is not something that I would want to repeat 
if it were my story. And, and I remember, go ahead. It does install the sense of disposal in you as a child. It does. Like, it does. I I read this book. Um, it was called a prison. Wait, prison baby by Deborah Shangstein. And it was about her birth in prison. I, I read this book while I was in prison because I mean, why why not? I was pregnant in prison. I, and she details the emotional struggles of having to be a prison baby you know like who, who wants that title so to me that is what your birth story is I mean my birth story is I was born to Dale and Tracy Johnson of Waterville Maine you know it's simple but with my daughter it's not simple Yeah, and what I'm hearing from both of you is that birth stories can be deeply meaningful and personal, um, and they can really reflect kind of a unique journey of each individual's childbirth experience and kind of where they originated from. Um, and however, there are also these negative birth stories or experiences that people have like having a, a a child incarcerated um that can come with this kind of significant emotional psychological or even physical pain um just due to where they were born at it absolutely mirrors how you are preconceived to be before you have ever even started to be. Um, and so it really directly impacts the way you feel you belong to your community. Um, and that is really, I think, a seed that gets planted and can totally influence the trajectory in which someone grows. I think to me, like if it opens a door of so many other questions, you know, if my daughter ever asked me this question one day, it's, well, mom, why were you in prison? You know, what happened? And then I have to tell her this whole other story of a time in my life where I was an absolute freaking mess. Um, But... That was back then, and this is now. And the things that I have done in that time frame, um, I would hope would become inspiring to her, you know, and and prove to her that she can do anything because mom did this, you know. Um, but it's still something that I don't, I'm not, it's not a question I'm looking forward to answering when she does ask it one day. It's almost like another way in which you never really fully regain your autonomy once you've entered the carceral system. Like they're always going to have their hand in your narrative as a human being somehow, um, some way. And like that, it's very, it's, it's very stressing. 
when you're a child, you're just so completely innocent and understanding and you just think your parents are your heroes, you know, and, and telling a child a story like that of this is how you were born is going to completely change her perception of me as a parent. And that's scary to me because it's going to happen one day. And KJ, you said something um, just a few minutes ago that um, I'd, I'd like to ask you to expand on because, you know, when when they do come and they ask that question, um, it's a different story that is going to be told compared to how Kelly said what her, her birth story was. Um, it's a totally different story and a different uh, dialogue that she's going to have to go through. Um, and that can that will change the individual and how they interact with the world and how they feel that they belong to the world. And I was wondering if you could just expand on um, what do you mean by how they feel they belong to the world um, or to their community? I think we as adults underestimate the sense of knowing children have. Like we are always fully human. Our consciousness and self-awareness may grow and shift and change. But there is a sense of knowing um, that you are installed with with just being human. And I think that gets extremely underestimated in children. Children are very conscious and aware of what is happening around them. They may not always be equipped with the tools to articulate and analyze and distill and reshape and reform and put into words what's happening, but it's internalized. Um, and so for like myself, I would either be woken up at two in the morning um, or taken on my way from preschool to go get my dad out of jail. Like that was normal. Like I was, uh, by the time I was six years old, I was very well versed in the, the bail bond system. <laughs> um, or I would have my dad wake me up late at night, giving me a kiss because he had just returned to jail. Or I'll never forget the time um, my dad was arrested right in front of me because it's like this sense of as you phrased it in the beginning of the conversation who cares about you um you know you are looked at as an at-risk child because of what your parents gone through and so your narrative is shaped by their narrative you know, I was always told by my dad to be careful who I say his name around because he was known in my school district as the guy that got chased by the police and the principal through the woods. And so like, that's the story that stems from my last name. Um, and so it just, it has waves of influence um, that just contribute to one's self-esteem and self-worth. And then it's absolutely reciprocal in the type of community care that they receive. Because despite being labeled at an at-risk youth, you know, something that in the nonprofit um, world, we love to be thrilled about helping, no one really came to my aid. You know, I was complicated to work with because I had a complicated life story. And so it was just easier to work with people that were less complicated. And so, it just has what feels like never ending effects because like Kelly, it's partially why I'm here today having this conversation and trying to contribute to change however I can, because it just, 
it became who I was without my consent. And now I have to figure out how to live with it regardless. It's like almost like a form of grief. So KJ, I can definitely relate with that story. And I don't think you and I have ever even really talked about this, but my dad was the guy that got caught on the Waterville Winslow bridge with on a motorcycle with a handgun, three hand grenades and a rifle. Um, he was an alcoholic. He was in and out of jail my whole life. You know, I remember talking to him from behind the glass. I remember seeing him on the news. I, I remember going to get him out of jail and I remember him getting kicked out all the time because he was drinking all the time and didn't get along with my mom, you know, um, and having that last name Johnson wasn't a good thing. You didn't want to tell Winslow PD that that was your dad. Um, and then on top of things, my grandfather was the chief of police of Oakland. So, you know, it, it, having that name was conflicting. Um, ha having, you know, the black sheep of both sides of the family was horrible. I, cause I didn't have anybody to talk to or turn to either. And then I was always the black sheep at school. I literally had my seventh grade study hall teacher corner me in a classroom and lecture me for 20 minutes about how my home life sucks. She knows my parents are alcoholics, but there is no excuse for my grade slipping. And I should just sit down and do my work 20 minutes in front of entire study hall. She did this. She ended up getting fired for that. Um, but it was embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. And almost like for me, as a way of trying to reclaim the part of my identity that had been stolen, is I would almost try to use it as clout. Like I tried to be empowered by the fact that I personally had never been incarcerated or had to dealt with the carceral system um outside of how I've been impacted by it through other family members like I would actually stand up in front of a class and like whenever we had to share fun facts and mine would be that like I'm the only person in my family that's never been arrested like and I and I would feel cool about that and like I just feel like there's something darkly twisted about it I used to do the same thing because <laughs> you know my first offense was when I was 32 years of age so I spent a long time without any charges and it, it was definitely my uh my pride and joy thing to talk about too um so I get it get it and I I thank both of you for like illustrating that so well um because I you know that's something I've never considered of even just thinking about my birth story and the the narratives that you hold in your life and how they impact you and how you um, show up in the world. So I really do thank both of you for your illustration and although very different stories, very impactful um, stories. And I'm glad y'all shared them with us. Before we wrap up, though, I do want to ask you ask you both based off your experience uh, and Kelly. Um, your experience of being pregnant in the correctional center and KJ, you know, your experience of having um, incarcerated an incarcerated parent, how has that informed your perspective 
of the criminal legal system um, and the various issues that we're talking about today? To go first, I would say it gave me a, a false perception. And I think I might, I'm not, I'm for at least for a long time. And I think that was because my dad never faded away from how he broke the law or why he was incarcerated. So all of those sort of stories that a parent ultimately has to tell their children, like Kelly mentioned, is like what I grew up hearing um, from my dad or from another family member when my dad wasn't there, he was in jail. Um, so yeah, my dad never really faded away from the fact that he broke the law or that he was a criminal like again I think to try and reclaim part of his identity he kind of like wore those things with pride um and it's because he understood himself like he was someone who was grew up in an abusive household was in and out of foster care um wasn't really well supported throughout school started drugs very early in age so he understood himself so like he could justify his crimes so being a criminal wasn't really um, it was bad for me to become one, but it was okay that he was one, if you could understand that. And so I just thought it was what it was. Like, to me, it was a very normalized process um, of life, like maybe way more normal than other people think about it, especially other young children. Um, but like that, it was what it was. There was no way around it. Like I said, I knew many, I'm the only person in my family who's never been arrested. So like, I just thought it was what it was like. Um, and so it wasn't really until later in my life and I was able to do my own research and my own processes of healing and unlearning, could I come to see how it was really a system of design um, and make that shift. Um, and it was almost like an ontological shock, if you will, that like my normalcy or my sense of what is normal um, really isn't all that quite normal um, and really doesn't have to be this way. Like it made policy very personal to me. So I had somewhat of the same perception as you and sense of normalcy in the beginning. Like my, because my dad was in and out of jail, I thought that was normal. And just because my dad was a little crazy and an alcoholic, I thought, you know, it's just dad being dad. Um, but at the same time, I knew it was wrong. You know, I did have people in my life that pointed out this is wrong. Um, there are things though, like prison itself. I thought prison was like what you see on TV. I thought jail was like what you see on TV. You know, I was terrified to death to go at first. But then, you know, I get there and it's totally different from what tv may portray you know i walk into the women's center it looks like a school you know and the the doors don't lock and the windows open and you know there's a classroom and a hair salon like are you kidding me this is prison um so it I guess my my perception changed throughout the car incarceration process as to what prison and jail was really like. Um, but I also did notice a lot of 
gaps in the system and policy errors and, you know, just all of these issues that we're talking about that many people are not aware of and just think they're it's perfect, you know? And reentry itself, it it's so underrated. You do not under you do not get what it's like to re-enter society it's so much more challenging than what people think you know so going through the experience um definitely changed my perspective my perspective on all of that it changed my perspective on relationships never knew what a healthy relationship was you know I learned that in prison so being there changed my life my perception on everything um and honestly, I'm thankful for the experience. It sucked, but I'm thankful. Well, look, I want to thank you both for just sharing that with us. Um, experience with the legal system really can transform um, the beliefs and the views and perspectives that we have of it. And so I'm really glad that you both shared kind of how that, what, how that has transformed your perspectives of it um before we end today though i do want to say like always thank you for coming on um talking holding in with this series with us um giving us this insight on birth stories and just kind of the impact of incarceration on women and the healthcare needs that they have as they're going through this um i think one thing that i would like to end off with is that you know, for years, women have navigated the challenges of pregnancy while incarcerated. Um, and through this, they have fostered stories of resilience in the face of inadequate support. Um, the stories that we are talking about on here are so invaluable because they help our listeners connect with that human aspect of this issue. Um, so by hearing these stories, we aim to foster empathy and understanding um, and encourage our listeners to advocate for change and ensure that the voices of incarcerated women are heard. Um, so one of the, the call to action that we have today is if you are uh, a woman who has had a similar experience and you want to share your story, reach out to us on social media or you can complete our resilient reinterest form listed in the description below. Uh, we'd love to amplify your voice and share your story. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at More Life the Reentry Podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about Unborn Pregnancy Prisoner Project, you can follow them on Instagram and YouTube at the Unborn Pregnancy Prisoner Project. Um, but thank you all for tuning in with us today. And we are so grateful for having y'all. Thank you so much again. Thank you for having us as always.